Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Women's Hour. How is everyone doing? I have my trusty sidekick, Aisha. How's it going? Hi, good, thank you. This is quite an early record for us, isn't it? It is a really early record for us, like school run and record, so yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We normally do like a, a late afternoon or an early evening type thing and um, we're recording this in the morning, but you guys obviously will watch it whenever you like. And uh, we have Kate, how are you doing? Hi, I'm all good. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, thank you, all things considered. How's lockdown going? Um, it's It's been okay. Um, I work in a university, so it's been hard on our students, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I have access to a good outdoor space. You know, I, I live with someone and haven't had to shield, so... As lockdowns go, I've, I've had a pretty good one, I think, trying to count my blessings. Yeah. And Jane, how are you? Hi, Ava. I'm, I'm OK. Um, God, lockdown's dragging on a bit, isn't it? I, I'm on my own and uh, I've got a great bubble mate, my next door neighbour, but they've, they've had their hands full a bit. So, yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to, to getting to see people, real people. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm doing OK. Thanks. You're saying you've got a new kitten. Is that a lockdown kitten? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Highly advise. Um, although he's absolutely manic. I think he's asleep upstairs at the moment, so I don't think he's going to make an appearance. But if somebody appears on the back of my chair, um, yeah, that's little Leo. He's uh, at that what I call biting stage where he's just chewing absolutely everything, including my hands. So, um, yeah. yeah, highly, highly, highly recommend getting a pet as long as it's for life, you know. Yeah. I've been reading actually a lot of people got pets during lockdown because I was looking at getting a puppy for Mimi um that's my daughter everyone who watches this knows that um but then I was kind of told that if you have to start doing people haven't thought about going back to work and stuff so they've got these little dogs that are used to having people around like all day long and these dogs are gonna really feel it cats are a bit more independent dogs (laughs) You know, I've got I've got older brother Louis who um, he's hardly got used to seeing people. Yeah. And um, to be honest, he, I, don't, I don't mean it to be like this, but he really doesn't like men for some reason. So women who come, you know, round like my next one neighbour is fine, but if a guy comes in the house, <laughs> he's off. So I'm, I'm <laughs> I need to try and retrain him. But you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's been weird. No, don't don't. He's absolutely right. That's exactly how it should be. I was going to agree. Yeah, he seems like a wise, wise cat. <laughs> yeah, he's discerning, but it's it's. Um, but the good news is the two of them are getting on. That that for me has been the big, big drama over the last few weeks. Um, it's trying to get the big, yeah. cat and the little cat to, yeah, make friends. I'll probably get another comment again. I always get a comment. Again. There's this guy who just watches obsessively. Um, who probably get, hey, why are you making jokes about hating men? I'm like, they're not jokes. obviously obviously but it's fascinating isn't it that animals can actually sense um it Mm. seems um the different i don't know things so no they can i've heard that before i've heard that before an absence of a soul just like that oh goodness gracious so um today have we been all watching the news and stuff we were sort of reporting on like you guys, um, I won't even say if you're based, where you're based, if you don't want, but has everyone been seeing what's happened in Bristol last night? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, but I just hope nobody's been hurt. I haven't heard the news this morning. Um, 
as uh, I mean, well, there have been some police officers who've been hurt, but it looked quite, quite um, horrific, didn't it? Yeah. I think it was just, you know, I saw a few of the clips and stuff. You don't know the full story, but Bristol have always been quite, uh, you know, ready to protest and up there. Yeah. They, they, they're quick to go, you know, if anything happens. I saw a few videos and stuff online. I mean, it has been sort of coming, you know, there have been a few protests that are just building and building and building. And it's just like, sometimes you just see someone walk, and the police just shove them really hard. You're yeah. like, was that necessary? Was that really, really necessary? It's really quite interesting, because I used to be a prison officer for five years. And it's like, we couldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? We would just be in riot gear all the time. We would, like, yeah. the whole... The, the difference with the confrontation between prison officers and police. We had some like rogue prison officers that people used to get really angry with because it's like, can you not do that, please? Because you're just going to make the day really hard for everybody else. Um, Like I said, I'm not saying that they're not evil prison officers. They really were. But with the police, do you know what I mean? We, We didn't have that kind of confrontational attitude that they seem to have. And you're just seeing so much of it at the moment. I think Pretty Patel is really um, getting people up and going, really. Well, I, I think, think she's stirring it. You know, I think when she puts out statements that, that police officers will hear, she doesn't speak into a bubble that is just the general public. Police officers are the general public. And yeah. she stands there and effectively makes their excuses for them. If yeah. anyone is using their uniform as an excuse to throw their power around, and let's not pretend that there's no one out there who doesn't use a uniform to throw power around, yeah. then then they're just emboldened by her. And by, yeah. you know, um, describing things as riots, instead of saying something like people gathered with good intent and it escalated beyond what they prepared for. Like yeah. that would be, I think, a fair way of describing what happened last night from what I've seen. But she leaps straight to terms like riot and disorder, which just, you know, like powering up the police's batteries. Yeah, it's not on. Enjoy, enjoy it all. Aisha? I was just going to say that I think there's the, there's two sides. Well, not two sides of this, but I really believe in the right to protest. I really believe in the protests that are taking place in Bristol and all over the country right now, certainly before they're all outlawed. And if they're outlawed, there's even more reason for there to be protests. But my concern is, I think, like Kate alluded to, it just this kind of stuff just is used as a reason for the draconian law. And I, the, I don't know what the answer is. I feel very much like we've still got to go out on the streets because otherwise there's no end in sight. But I do feel like it will definitely be used. Look at the riots many years ago. It will be used so that certain journalists can say things like put the water cannons on them. Certain left leaning journalists can say things like that. And that is a massive concern, isn't it? Sorry, Sorry, I was just going to come in. I think the context is really important, isn't it? After Clapham last week, where... um, you know, we were all really shocked about what was a, a truly pre- peaceful, you know, heartfelt protest. And, and we saw the actions of the police then. And, you know, I know that they that their context does. We, we've got to be careful in case there's terrorism or something. But they seem to always be so aggressive, as you say. And I think, you know, the kettling strategies and strategies that are obviously going to just build tension. 
shows that they really don't understand the power dynamic that's often at work and and how it's perceived quite on the other side and a democracy has to be able to protest and you, you're right that it seems that everything possible is being done to clamp down or make people appear evil or whatever when actually what's happened is they've been in, been really provoked to have to be able to respond because of the brutality they're facing so I think we need a different debate somehow, but when the government's not getting it right, are they at the moment? And um, no. I think I'm really concerned about this new bill going through, um, as I think many people are. And they're happy to let white people parade around, not wearing masks, not social distancing, complaining about, you know, COVID being a hoax or whatever it was was going on, I think, in London earlier in the day. That's and right. that's fine. You know, no, no police throwing people against vans there. So... I yeah, this government yeah. has made it very clear, like whose side and stuff they're on. You know what I mean? It's just like they've they've, you know, got carte blanche to really just do what they want with that majority that they've got, and they are really. It's like they're almost rushing everything through. You know, it's just it's really disheartening. I was I knew this kind of thing was going to happen when I saw that. You know, the exit polls. I was like, no, no. It was just and pretty Patel, honest. I, I don't know what will happen. I mean, I think she really needs to go because she antagonises so many people. She just grins about it. But if she can survive, you know, what she, you know, basically the bullying assertions and the no confidence that, you know, her own team have, it, it seems that we're seeing the true colours. As you might know, when I, I resigned from the advisory panel the other day, I also resigned from the Tory party because I have been really concerned about the lurch to the right and the creation of hostile environments towards LGBT people, but it seems towards many others. And what I'm really seeing is a sort of Trump-like um, yeah. approach, you know, that's emboldening far right, is emboldening all sorts of groups that the evangelical groups we're going to perhaps talk about later yeah. and it's not where the center ground is and interestingly there are a lot of new the new tory mps who you know who won their seats for the first time are really actually getting very anxious and are, are speaking up and speaking out and I, I think it's all going to come to a head internally as well because you know the center ground if you like people who want to see real democracy and real um progress in terms of rights just feel that's all been eroded i talked about the fact i felt we were going back to the days of thatcher and section 28 and i'm seeing it yeah. in all sorts of areas now so um yeah i think um something has to has to give and um i i, I think it's getting to a pressure cooker point because i didn't realize so were you on the tory advisory panel because we we're, here, we're going to speak about conversion therapy but were you on the tory panel so the advisory panel, the LGBT advisory panel is a group of well, was a group of 12 people appointed by the government. It wasn't a political appointment, if you like. Um, so um, so Nancy Kelly, the chief executive Stonewall, Paul Martin, uh, head of LGBT Foundation and Paul Roberts from uh, LGBT Consortium are there by their position. But the other nine of us were appointed because of our expertise or. And as it happened, I, I think um, not that any of us brought our politics to the table. I probably was, I think, the, the, the only Tory member around the group. And I joined, believe it or not, this is probably going to turn your, your, your views. But I joined the Tory party a couple of years ago because I wanted to vote for anybody but Boris into power, basically. I mean, I was uh, worked closely with Theresa May and Penny Morden when we set up, you know, the advisory panel. And I've just got more and more concerned. And I thought, how on earth do I show 
um, my disgust at what's going on, uh, and that was to resign quite publicly, yeah. which is what I did a couple of weeks ago, um, both from the panel and from the Tory party, and, and stating, as I've just done, the, the hostile environment that they're catering. Now, you can only do that once. You know, normally, many of us who've been in have, have tried to be in the room having the conversations to try and change things. It's like with the Church of England. I really get frustrated about that, but I'm in the room trying to change things. That's the best thing. But when you get to a point that just think they don't even want to be in the room with us, they're not even meeting, they're not listening, then then you need to and your red lines have been crossed, then you need to act. And um yeah, I was I didn't because you we got to sort of know of each other through a completely different methods. So I didn't I saw the resignations happening, um, but I didn't realise at that point. So oh wow, so we've oh, so I was so I was the first one and then luckily James and I say luckily, but I was really pleased that James and Ellen, um, uh, two of our trans members, also felt so you know strongly and resigned with me. And obviously it's been quite a major news story in a sense because um, we're calling the government on it. And, and, I, and that's why I know there's so much upset in the party because there have been all sorts of meetings since. Um, Can I ask you something? I'm just going to be very straightforward because this is what I know our viewers are going to be thinking. And I have these conversations on Twitter and we've had loads of LGBT guests because not long after we started, it was LGBT History Month. So we had a whole month. But I know that everyone's going to be sitting there watching this going, what did you expect? It's the Tory party. Like, why? Well, they've got... yeah, but yes and no so how do you how do you change okay you either shout from the sides and nobody wants to hear or you engage from the middle and try and change things and um i think um you know under more under may um we had an action plan that was put together i'm thinking of lgbt uh, matters now but we had um you know we had a survey that asked the the community what are your needs what are you concerned about what's your priorities and then an action plan that was put together that was based on that you know we'd seen a lot of progress and I wanted to work with that I wanted to um I mean for me the big thing has been about banning conversion therapy which is perhaps why yeah. I was put on the on the panel in the first place because trying to bridge that gap between religion and sexuality but, you know, I always think it's better to engage and try and influence from inside the room. And you, you keep trying to do that, even when things get really, really bad. But there comes a point when you have to say, actually, no, you, you've crossed the line now. And um, and and it's hard because I I say it's hard. Sorry about me. But, you know, when when do you act? When Because once you've gone, you've gone, you know, um, and, and you, your voice isn't worth anything anymore and people don't want to engage with you. But um so your opportunity to influence is gone. You know, I, I, and it is like the Church of England. I just did an interview with Radio Berkshire and they said, well, you resigned from the panel, but why are you still in the Church of England? And because um, that's just as bad, isn't it? And I said, yeah, but we're seeing progress there. And I'm able to engage and influence with bishops and archbishops. And, yeah, we've still got a hell of a long way to go. But yeah. but you can still make make a difference. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to talk more. I think... Yeah, I mean, I'm not hardline. So I I joined the Tories as I said because I wanted a vote for a leader that I thought would do as proud, and sadly we didn't get enough votes for that. Yeah, <laughs> I I get what you're saying in a way. Like I joked with that we had Clive Lewis and Nadia Whittam on the other day, and I was like, I'm joining the Tories. Clive was like, What? I said, I'm going to disrupt meetings. 
you can start burning there being a nuisance and then having a say in their leadership and stuff I was like they they joined Labour let's be honest so let's go and join the Tories but I don't I'm not sure I actually would, would go that far I, don't well, think I, I, I mean just to you know I've been in long conversations with the Labour front bench over the last week because actually I see what I see Keir doing with the party is because um, I, I don't know if you know I used to work with Tony Blair as one of his directors of his faith foundation and I'm someone who, who who believes in the centre ground and what I see are the Tories veering off to the right and yet the Labour Party moving and owning that ground and I'm really keen to explore that more. I've got some concerns but but that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah I mean I'm not new a fan of the sort of where Labour's going either. I kind of find them lurching to the right a little bit um, but I'm going to ask both of you, both of our guests, I was starting to see the language changing and stuff like that I kind of could see what was happening with the LGBT community because for for me as an observer it just felt like uh-oh like the way mm. you're seeing so many black and brown Tories now who are pushed to the forefront Pretty Patel who honestly I'd like a week people are like oh he's talking about Pretty Patel I'd like her to stop doing things so <laughs> mention her We've mentioned her on every single episode because every week she's done something horrific. So pretty Patel, behave yourself and we really won't mention you. But we we always are quite concerned with the black and brown toys that they push up front to sort of excuse their racism. And I felt like once you start trying to pick apart a community like the divide and conquer, when you saw the trans community being picked off and sort of being set up against the rest of the community, I thought, uh uh-oh. And we were saying, and I remember I had, um, I do another show at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, and I had Owen Jones on and stuff, and we were chatting about it. And Owen's also been really, really vocal about this, saying if you start dividing the community, then that's when we're going to start seeing, like you said, almost like Section 28 coming back again. And, you know, you start seeing these Tories saying stuff. I saw an interview with uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and I thought, you are so sly and disgusting, right? So he was talking about um, anti-LGB legislation and not wanting, you know, people don't want to hear that. He was like, but, you know, we have to consider our Muslim community because, you know, they don't like... I was like, you, it's you, not the Muslim You've yeah. never wondered about the Muslim community in your entire life. This is you. And you know what I mean? And it was just like, you know when you start seeing them push groups where you know you're not interested in that group, you're just trying to sow division. But I mean, Kate, did you feel an atmosphere changing? Like around Brexit, like black and brown, we started going, whoa, this racism's, racism also, you know, it's it's growing. And some of it's very retro as well, because I got called a wog and that was just rude and old fashioned. Wow. What did, what did you, have you felt that the, the uh, sort of a a change I know you guys are outside London but have you felt a change in you know growing uh homophobia yeah I think so and the stats seem to bear it out but what I've noticed is not just that there's been an increase in homophobia we had um Christian Voice who are a delightful community of human beings were protesting in Oxford about I don't know six or eight months before the lockdown I haven't seen them since I left London I didn't think they ever left London so it was a bit troubling to see them popping up in other parts of the country because they are realistically a really tiny group but if they've become big enough to spread their protests beyond their core that's troubling um and they were the sort of slightly I was going to say slightly harassing they were overtly harassing my wife and I because we were crossing the square where they were 
um, in front of, really irritatingly, a really lovely and inclusive Baptist church. My, oh, so many people are going to now think that Baptist church is going to be exclusionary because of these. It turned out they didn't have the right to be there and eventually the police did move them on because it's private land. But um, <laughs> I absentmindedly, they handed me a leaflet about same-sex mirage and the Bible. And I sort of batted it away and said, no, thank you. And they pushed it on me again and said, you should read your Bible. And without even thinking, I said, I've read my Bible, I'm a priest. And then they got right up in my face. Because wow. this is all, it's all interlaced with misogyny in this part, in this particular kind of theology. I was like, you're not a priest, you're a rebellious woman, you're a descendant of Eve. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, if you're taking your Bible extremely literally, and I'm guessing you guys are, we're all a descendant of Eve. Yeah. And by virtue of how things work, probably Eve and her son. So let's not think about that too much, shall we? Um, you know, I mean, you you obviously can't can't take Genesis literally in the way that that some people try to um but you know and yeah it's it's one of the few times in my life i've got really angry with someone that i don't know apart from on the internet um and it's probably the only time in my life that anybody's had to tell me to calm down instead of me being the one on the sidelines going it's okay everybody chill but i just i got so angry but what was really lovely though is that there were a couple of lads i guess in their early 20s i read them as heterosexual but i have to admit i never discussed it with them who came over to my wife and said, look, we've got no idea what's going on, but clearly things are really distressing. Can we do anything? And she said, oh, yes, get hold of my wife and take her away. Yeah. And they just took me off to the side. They were like, can we get you a coffee? Can we get you a glass of water? You know, you, your wife's over there and she needs to have two minutes to sort of talk quietly to the people. Because, um, I mean, it's tricky to make the decision to get the police involved. But in yeah. this instance, it was it was clearly sort of unprovoked harassment. And it was on the basis of the fact that they'd read us as gay. Um, and so, you know, she was and we have had pretty good experience with the police in our area on homophobic hate crime, because that's the only bit, the only thing I can talk to. You know, that's the only in dealings we've had with them and they've been OK. But apart from that, we've had a couple of other incidents and they've always been transphobic in nature and aimed at my wife. So she presents sort of masculine of centre, will quite often get surred in the street and then people do a double take and apologise. Um, and and what's happened a couple of times lately, so I, I broke my leg a while ago. I, I break things. I'm probably dyspraxic and I fall over a lot. Um, and and I was I was trying to get down a big street in the city centre to get to the theatre and a guy came over and tried to help me. Now, if you have any dealings with the disability liberation community, you will know that the way to help someone is to approach them and say, can I help? Not, as he did, sort of grab my wrists yeah. where I was holding my crutches. Like, how is that going to help? This is the thing that is holding me up. So I got quite scared. Emily got quite defensive. And there were some lads outside Weatherspoons across the road who started yelling, you should hit him, you should hit him. And the guy who'd confronted us, who was getting quite angry at this point because I wasn't accepting his help and he was being asked to move on. I can't hit it. It's a woman. And, you know, and we didn't do anything about it. But I was chatting to the PCSO that works at the university I work at. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's totally transphobic hate crime. And you absolutely. So we did eventually log it using the anonymous reporting tool just so that it forms part of the stats. Not, you know, not to have the guy chased down. He was probably... I mean, who knows, but maybe he does it again and they need to know it's happened before. You don't know. Yeah. Um, and then we had another incident with a guy in our driveway um, wearing all black across the driveway when Emily was reversing him from the road. Um, she didn't see him. He didn't get hurt. But, you know, I think he claimed the car had slightly bumped him. But who knows? But either way, he responded by standing on our doorstep 
and sort of aggressively phoning the police to complain um, and using a very overtly transphobic language. And and that and that, you know, I had incidents when I lived in London. It happens, you know, people corner you coming off a bus and start calling you a um I'm I'm aware there is a small person within earshot, so I won't use the language that was oh, used. Her language is awful, but she's next door. Go ahead. She's next door. Okay. Um, so you know, they'll call you an effing dyke and things like that, and you get sort of but you know, you, you kind of get used to it. But it's been a while, you know, I'm not it it feels like things petered off, at least in my own experience. But I think talking to my friends, I think this has been their experience as well. It's like after the heat of the same-sex marriage debate, after the the heat of all of that, it died off for a long time. The turning point was the consultation about the Gender Recognition Act. That was when things started to get really nasty. And that was, what, eight, 12 months after Brexit that all of that started? And that's when people who had never liked same-sex marriage, had never liked the fact we have any rights at all, started to realise that what they couldn't leverage against... I'm going to say the LGB community, but I don't really think there is a divide between the LGB community and the T community, but I'll use the language they use. They felt they could leverage the LGB community against a T community. But the reality is, you know, queer phobias are all intersectional. You know, people object to my relationship because it's a gender non-conforming presentation, you know, because as a woman, I should be marrying a man. And when I don't, I'm breaking the gender conventions more than anything else. So homophobia and transphobia, they're one and the same. And to say that you can set up an organisation that deals with LGB phobia whilst being extremely biphobic, but that's another conversation for another day. And and as if that is a totally separate issue from transphobia, it's, it's dangerous. And they absolutely are going down a Section 28 route with challenging puberty blockers, with organisations that are explicitly targeting schools. Um, and explicitly saying Stonewall are misleading you, you must not encourage children to be transgender. That is exactly the language of Section 28. They use the language of pretense, which is exactly the language of Section 28. My entire schooling, I was born in 86 and left school in 2004. That is the exact period Section 28 was in place. My generation know the damage that legislation did. We lived it. You know, um, it, we're a generation where uh, LGBTQ plus individuals are something like four or five times more likely to have self-harmed, to have attempted suicide, to have a diagnosis of a serious, uh, serious mental health condition. Um, that's not solely down to Section 28, but the environment that was created with that one line and one piece of legislation, you can't you can't ignore this or claim it's a fringe issue because people will get hurt, seriously hurt. We had trans guests who were um, obviously presenting as gay men at that time, but were at school at that time as well, and were just like, we couldn't even explore our transness or even understand what it means because we were under Section 28 and we just didn't, you know, I, I agree with you. Oh, am I freezing a little bit? Sorry. You are, sadly. Um, yeah. Oh, this is so annoying. You're back. Sorry, I wonder if I should back. just sort of... It's good now. Are we, am I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay. Um, Emma, I think you raised a really important point as well. It is rooted in misogyny. It really is. And we've we've spoken about presenting and stuff. I don't, you know, it's really funny because if I go, because I go, um, not so much anymore, but when I was younger, I used to go to a lot of gay clubs and stuff and a lot of drag nights. And because I'm 5'11", but like in heels, I'm 6'3", could be 6'4", sometimes like, 
I'm read as trans or a drag queen a lot of times. Like people get very, very confused. But yeah, so, you know, obviously when you have those kind of insults leveled at you, you understand like, okay, this is where this has come from and this is where we're going. Jane, I want to ask you what, what we just asked Emma. Have, did you, are you feeling the change? Uh, am I feeling the change? Yeah, I, I and I've spoken out quite quite a lot about it. I mean, uh, part of my resignation was because of the way that this government has uh, reacted to the trans community. And I, I wrote an article in The Guardian a while back with um, a, a rabbi, actually, who also we just wanted to speak out and talk about the rise in transphobia, the rise in um, hate crime. But frankly, the government's silence at the time was fueling aggression, not not addressing it. And I think um, as a community, well, sorry, as, as a society, we, we've um, allowed rhetoric to get right out of hand. Nobody stood up and spoken out um, from the centre for our trans um, friends. And I think the GRA um, reforms were actually a step back half the time. So I, I, but what I've said in the last couple of weeks, and I really mean, is that sadly, I think um, our minister for what I call her inequalities is 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 frankly pretty ignorant on these issues. You know, I've sat in meetings which I can't take too much detail about, but I've been horrified at the level of of ignorance and stereotyping and, and othering uh, without meaning to. The level of unconscious bias is just huge, and that's the whole point of having an advisory panel. By the way, is to is to come to us and help them learn and understand. But if they don't even want to engage, then there's, there's you know there's no learning. And I'm afraid the real issues have been with with Kemi, Kemi Badnock. And, um, you know, um, she really doesn't do LGBT at all. And to have her as Minister for Equalities is just a joke. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just really, yeah. Honestly, in the black community, we have a joke, like, where we see a black person acting up. We're like, go and collect her, please. Go and collect her. (laughs) Someone collect uh, Kemi because I don't know what she's doing. I mean, I, I just don't, she doesn't like us either, by the really? way. Well, that's, I mean, I'm just nervous to talk about it. I mean, I, I, you set out with good intentions, don't you? And once we, I've written how many letters and I'm asking for meetings, and I can't tell you how many have been cancelled, um, you know, um, but no, it's really, really bad. And pandering again to right wing evangelicalism, which believes in a certain norm. I hate that phrase, but that's how they will talk about it of you know one man one woman for life and they want to separate uh, separate out gender from um identity from sexuality so they don't even talk about it the same they've been heavily influenced by i'm going to call them the radical feminists but you know those who've got a, a very clear agenda and the fact they won't even listen and sit down with us is really telling Sorry, Aisha. Yeah, well, it, it actually you, you perfectly tied into what I was going to say, which is I see the same thing happening um, with this discussion as happens with racism. So the same kind of journalist, if you say something horrendously transphobic and denying any kind of humanity or rightness, you will have a straight pathway to a column in one of the major papers, and you know you and all your friends will pat yourselves on the back. And I agree with the radical feminists that end up in this, and it's the same thing. One minute you've got a tiny column in the New States, but the next minute you have huge columns, and it's the same thing. You're peddling utter hatred and you know falsehoods, actually, and um, that that pays. That really pays. There's clearly an agenda somewhere that these ideas are going to be spread, and they're going to be spread everywhere, you know, um, and it pays as much. And I just wondered how you guys felt, or whether you see that happening. Um, in certain I mean, broadsheets, not not all. 
I mean, and, and I think sometimes actually even the editors, uh, the, the articles they've written, which have been pretty transphobic, says where that paper's at. So I've tried to, you know, write op-eds. Um, I'll be frank with you, the Guardian are very good on the whole at publishing, but uh, there are two other uh, articles that begin with T's which aren't and um you know and a, and a Sunday version of of one of them which is even worse so um oh, you know yeah. I, I think it's it's just feeding that narrative and when the government is so silent um that's what really really you know worries me because we're we're, we're yeah we're, we're creating such homophobic hate and transphobic hate societies they don't even know it I mean I was just going to um, add, I mean, ironic, we're both in Oxford, but I had a, a, a horrible incident in, in the public square, which I had to report to the police, where I was called out as that woman who's sending everybody to hell by a street preacher. And I turned around and talked about that God loved everybody. And I got this, I won't even repeat, I can't repeat this level of abuse. And what was more was there was just a crowd of people who stopped. It was the middle of Corn Market Street, really busy to see what would happen. And I just had to well, I, I turned actually and I said, look, God loves you too, and walked on and people clapped because this guy just didn't know what to say. But that should not be allowed in, you know, on a Saturday afternoon in the mainstream. It's just, but he felt emboldened to do so. You know? And it happened at Pride. There's, there's this one guy who's always on Corn Market. I know the one. Yeah, um, and, but there was someone else who seemed to have just come in for Pride because he wanted a fun day out holding a placard. I can't remember what his placard said. It wasn't pleasant. Anyway, I decided to drop out of the march and stand there dressed very much as I am now with a placard I'd pinched off a drag queen that said, God loves everybody or something like that. Um, and I just sort of stood next to him. I was like, this is the best thing I can possibly do. I'm not going to get in his face. I'm not going to fight with him. I'm just going to stand next to him. Um, you know, the sort of hashtag not all Christians kind of witnessing. Um, and they didn't say anything to me and I didn't say anything to them. But um I was speaking to a community support officer afterwards and I said, you know, is there is there anything like, you know, you all marched past. Nobody stopped. Nobody challenged him. Nobody said anything. And they just sort of went, well, you know, if you want your freedom of speech, you've got to let him, ha him have his. And I just the thing about freedom of speech. And I don't know if I'm totally right about this, but my understanding is that the 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 heart of freedom of speech is freedom to criticise the government. The most protected people in the country at the moment should be people protesting the police and Meghan Markle calling out the Queen. They are the people currently the most entitled to be protected by free speech legislation because they're speaking truth to power. And that's what free speech is about. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be about Piers Morgan being able to be racist and not have a contract terminated or an actress being homophobic on Facebook and expecting to still be allowed to play a gay character on stage and play her straight, of course. Um, you know, all of this, that none of that really is at the heart of free speech legislation and neither is the right to dead name trans people. None of that is what freedom of speech means. And and yeah. we got totally caught up in it. And OK, these guys, in theory, weren't doing any harm. But the thing is, you know, if you spent any time in churches that hate gay people and they they don't know that they hate gay people, but they do. Um, and they don't believe that they hate gay people. And I will say that, and I mean that sincerely, you know, churches who behave in this way, very often the people doing the work, you know, telling people that they're going to hell if they don't change, they sincerely believe that this is the right thing to do and the loving thing to do because they've been told it over and over again. But underneath that, behind that, someone somewhere hates us and that's where it comes from. 
and they've taught other people that this is a loving thing to do. But someone at the root of this knows what they're doing. But if you've grown up in that, and I I mean, I came into the church quite late. I was 15 or 16 when I joined my local evangelical church. And I knew at that point that I was gay. I think by about that age, a lot of people have started to work out something about gender or sexuality. Um, And so it was just just a constant stream of, you know, it's okay as long as you don't act on it. Um, You know, make, make sure you are repentant, otherwise you'll stay depressed. Your mental health problems will get worse if you don't make it right with God. All of this stuff, some of which was coming from people who were doctors, you know, (laughs) it's like not as doctors. I wasn't in their surgery, but you still know, you know that someone's a doctor and you think, oh, well, if they're saying my mental health problems are because I'm gay and God doesn't love me and they're a doctor, it must be right. You've got all this kind of a real lack of training in youth work, I think, is a part of it. You know, people not people are often in some church contexts, given the the youth group work because they're a young trainee. And it's like, well, you're young, go work with the young people. But with no real understanding of the damage you can do to a 15 or 16 year old, if you undermine their sense of self repeatedly and tell them that it's God doing it. Well, that's so why I went through conversion therapy. Which well, exactly. It is, it is in many ways. I mean, it, it's, it's an entry point into conversion therapy. Yeah. I, I refused. I, ha- I was having therapy with the NHS and my the rector of my church suggested I leave and go to what they referred to as Christian counselling in another part of the county. And I, for the first time in my life, I said no to someone in authority. Um, And I think it was partly because I was more scared of my therapist in the NHS finding out than I was of, you know, my church at that point. But nonetheless, it's the only time I've really stood my ground. And I, you know, I thank God for that decision every day. I am because I, you know, there is a part of me that always thinks I, I, I've worked with asylum seekers. I've heard what happens to gay people in other parts of the world. I've I've heard real stories. It's of, happening here. I mean, corrective rape. I'm sorry. And no, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. You know, uh, uh, happening here right now amongst young yeah. LGBT uh, teenagers. That's why we're campaigning so much for a ban. And you know, I myself consented to go through conversion therapy because, like, like you, Emma, I, I really thought it was the right thing to do. Kate. What, Kate? Sorry, yeah, I, I, I got confused a little early. Apologies, um, but um, it, it's, it's really. Um, I mean, it took me to a place where I was in hospital with my body literally cracking under the strain. Consultants yeah. trying to work out what was wrong with me, full blown breakdown and then suicidal, you know, because and I got to that point twice because I really felt I was doing what I was told to by my church leaders. I was you know, praying the gay away. I was having exorcisms. I was going through the whole shebang and it wasn't working. And I knew it wasn't working. And I thought that A, that meant God didn't love me. B, it meant that I hadn't got enough faith or I wasn't being honest enough or we hadn't prayed into the right secret formula, if you like. But it took me to such a dark place because there was no way out. And if we're doing that to young people today and and not so young, too, it has the same impact, I'm afraid to say. We should say, and and, um, Kate's a brilliant example of this. There are many churches now which are really affirming, but it is. You might have seen um, Ava and Aisha, I'm not sure, but um, the Evangelical Alliance put out a letter last week saying they wanted to carry on really basically doing conversion therapy. And I went head to head with Peter Lyonis uh, in a radio show last week, you know, basically. And we talked about religious freedom. 
Now, the important thing, if, if I may, on, on freedoms, any freedom, is that you only have the freedom up until the point that it does harm. You know, yeah. all the uh, human rights articles are very clear on that. And also that you cannot use one freedom to abuse, cancel or deny another person their freedom. So they need to have a bit of a lesson in human rights law, as does our government, basically. But our freedom as, of, as trans people and um, LGB people is very, very clear. And religion cannot take that away from us. And the government has a very clear decision to make. It either sides with those who want to carry on, i.e. those who want to continue exorcisms and pray the gay away, or it protects the victims. Yeah. I think you raised a point there, and like Emma... So I'm calling you Emma. Sorry, Emma is her wife's name. Just randomly. Just <laughs> yeah. this Sorry. Kate was talking uh, before and she was talking about freedom of speech. And I think that is that point is freedom of speech is not hate speech. You don't mm. have the right to be doing what you're doing. You know exactly when you're denigrating a whole community and stuff like that. I think um, that's why we invited you on, Jane, as well, because we really wanted to speak about conversion therapy because I was really... Um, concerned I was um sort of you know I, I followed quite a few different people on Twitter and stuff and Matthew Hodson from 5016 Street was talking about it and I was like Matthew do you want to come on he was like I'll find you someone better so we just like, did this little underground thing until we found you and but we were and I wanted to bring Kate on as well because I know a lot of people do that from a religious perspective they try to say, oh, no, this is a religious thing. You can't infringe on, you know, my religious rights. But anyone who saw our episode with Judy McCauley and Jarrell Robinson-Brown would say, you know, they were telling you this is not actually the religion and it's not what you should do. I mean, I don't think people understand the full horrors of conversion therapy. So, um, Jay, do you want to explain a little bit about what yeah, people, sure. what they're signing their names to? And then also you see the LGB Alliance, you're like, Oh, because they've got LGB in their title now. Now they're saying it shouldn't be banned. I'm like, no, we've got to do a show about this. We've got to let people know what really is going on. Going on. How it started and what they did to you. If you well, okay. No, but sure. Um, I mean, conversion therapy is an umbrella term. So it can mean any practice that seeks to suppress, deny, cancel or erase someone's sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression. And uh, that can raise, range from religious and cultural practices through to quite violent um, beatings. I've mentioned corrective rape, I'm afraid to say. Um, in the old days, it was electrolysis and all sorts of hormone treatments. I say old days, that some of those are still, still happening. And it can happen in a variety of um, settings. And just to be clear, the um, medical and mental health professions that came together about three, four years ago now and mm -hmm. signed a memorandum saying ethically this was wrong, that no um, counsellor, no psychiatrist, no medical expert should be conducting these. Now, that's not regulated and it's not in legislation, which is why. But all the research shows and the government's own research showed that over 50 percent of people going through it were going through it in relig religious settings. Now, that is across all faiths, but typically it tends to happen in evangelical or Catholic settings or indeed in Jewish, Muslim, Sikh and, and, and Hindu settings where it's seen as culturally often uh, unacceptable, even if the scripture, the Holy Scriptures themselves don't talk about things. But in a, um, a Christian setting that has a what we call a charismatic um, belief in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal and to, uh, if you like, for demonic 
presence, evil spirits to be cast out. There is a real belief that you have chosen to be gay or that you've become gay or become trans because of something that's happened to you in your past, that there is, I don't know, uh, an overbearing parent or, a, or, or an absent parent or something's happened to you, perhaps an early sexual experience or if you were raped. And, and I tend to talk about um, it as a three-stage journey, if I'm very honest, and it mirrors my own, so I, I'll share it. The phase one, often people never get out of, which is what I call the private phase, where they think um, they know that deep down there's, there's, there's something that they'll think is wrong, they can't square with God, they don't want to talk to anybody about it because they're fearful that they will be shunned, that they will be told that they're unacceptable. And they plea bargain with God, they pray, they fast, they... And they will naturally get more and more depressed and either they're outed or something happens and they go into phase two, which is when they ask people um, around them to pray. Now, it's not just a little cup of tea and prayer. You know, we're talking five hour prayer sessions into every aspect of your part, every relationship that you've ever had, everybody close to you. And it's done, quote, in love. You know, it's done by people you trust, by people. And that makes it even more awful, really, because you're sharing some really intimate stuff, you know. Um, and you're hoping it's going to work and it doesn't and then you're the one who's at fault because you don't have enough prayer faith you, you, and it really starts getting to your psyche now typically you'll then start looking for more extreme forms of support and that's where I, I started going for deliverance ministry and exorcisms I sought out anybody who thought they'd got um, a gifting in this area and frankly I was paying quite a lot of money as well um, but, you know, four hour, five hour deliverance sessions with people shouting at you and praying in what they call praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, that's <laughs> pinning me down and hitting me every so often, trying to cast out demons from me. I'm I'm a relatively well-educated, sane, sort of white middle class woman. And this is happening in many churches to people like me. It's not just a problem, if I may, overseas. It's happening in the UK. No, I, I misspoke then. No, I'm no, I, I, more, I didn't, I didn't more mean familiar to... with yeah, sure that come it, from outside it does, the UK. It does happen. I, I, and forgive me, I wasn't trying to negate you. I'm just thinking there is a mindset, actually, that says it's not a problem in the UK. Yeah, and, yeah and, and And typically our LGBT asylum seekers have been through hell because yeah. they will have been violently beaten. They will have been correctively raped. They will have had all sorts of sort of weird dare I say sort of witchcraft things drink this eat this and uh, they'll be tailed uh, and threatened with being deported I know friends in the Sikh community have been threatened with being killed if they don't go through it our level of LGBT homelessness is really high because young people feel the only option they have is to run away to escape being sent somewhere to go through all this and the other issue is that so many people end up being forced into marriage they're told that um or, or, or being told look just marry in faith i know many evangelical men pastors have done this they've married a woman um, because of their faith they've not had sex before they got married so they've been told just expect a miracle on your you know wedding night and you can imagine it's absolute disaster real hell for the wife who's not and it can happen the other way around who's not desired thinks there's something wrong with her and the norm, you know, maybe they will end up having children, but then the whole thing, I know many cases where the whole thing then falls apart. Yeah. And the Paul, yeah, it's 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 horrific. But praying the gay away is not just like a, a nice little cup of tea and a prayer, you know, it can be really psychologically horrendous. And violent, like you said. And violent, you know, gosh, I mean, Jude, you, you mentioned this, you know, he he's, he and I have been working with 
spoke both here and abroad, you know, people got burnt with cigarettes. I mean, frankly, if you're being threatened with violence, abuse and stuff, of course you're going to say you're straight because that's the only way out. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and you hide it, but it pulls you apart. And I mean, I was, I was just reflecting. I can't, I haven't really, I mean, I didn't know that women could be gay. I lived, I grew up in section 28. Okay. I had no understanding of the LGBT community. So it wasn't until my twenties when I really realized that I'd got this massive problem. And, and I think there was no one I felt I could turn to. Now, luckily we've got the internet today and anybody watching this who feels that they're trapped in a community where perhaps everybody around them feels that it's wrong you know get online there are so many amazing groups now that are there to support you and you can be anonymous up until the point that you feel you can you know you can share more but um don't stay in what is a toxic environment that will kill you and if you think that prayer will save you it, i'm afraid god doesn't heal anything that's not in my i'm a christian still believe it or not by my hanging in there by my fingernails but god doesn't heal anything that's not broken and we're not yeah. broken you know yeah I think what we'll do is we'll compile a list and we'll put it in the comments for anyone who's watching this who wants to do something. And I think I just want to bring you guys back to the fact, because I remember I used to go to South Africa, like I went there like nine years on the trot, basically, before I had Madam. The last time I went there, I was like seven months pregnant with a little one. Um, and I remember being there one year at Pride and um, you mentioned corrective rape. And I just want to see how sort of, I hadn't heard or thought of it happening here, but corrective rape is a huge problem in South Africa, especially in the townships. And I remember sitting in a gay bar with lots of um, white cis gay men that were like, oh, oh, why are they ruining our pride? Because they were like lying down in front of the pride floats going, for God's sake, will you help us? You know, like nobody was really taking it seriously. I, I haven't heard of it here. Does that happen here as well? Yes, sadly, it does. Um, we did a survey back in 2018 where um, uh, called the Faith and Sexuality Survey. We've just done one. We're about to release the results on the, on religion and, and, and the trans community. But in that, we picked up, um, sadly, various cases and, and teenagers being corrected raped. And more importantly, there's um, an expert witness. I, I can't name her at the moment, but who's been briefing with me with MPs who works on, um, she heads up a charity that works with LGBT youth as a helpline. And she is um, testifying to uh, cases in London right now where people have been correctively raped, where they've been told to drink potions, where they've been told they're sick by so-called doctors like, you know, medical doctors who you. And but yes, though, that is happening in the UK now. It's not. um I personally haven't seen it advocated in, in churches, so I just want to be clear about that, but it is in certain communities, it is seen as the right thing to do. And with, with all ages, which is just absolutely horrific. Yeah. And it's against the law as it stands, to be fair, obviously that is wrong, but what we need is a law that will protect people from it. The reason we need a ban, legislation that bans, is that that will recognise that there are victims and that victims need protecting and we can have protection orders, we can put in case support mechanisms for them, we can have a whistleblowing hotline, we can identify who the ongoing perpetrators are and we can bring them to justice. We haven't got any of that at the moment. Yeah, I think it kind of... Um... It was interesting what you said that you didn't even realize women could be gay um and i think that like when we speak to the trans community 
it's trans women that that it is back to Kate's point about patriarchy really mm-hmm. trans women are always the subject always 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 you don't hear that much about trans men and I think it's anything that kind of sort of celebrates femininity or or enjoys femininity or doesn't want masculinity present is you know kind of I think there's a stereotype isn't there about lesbians it's like either they're to please men or they're like oh you know I saw um Elliot Page going around the world um before he transitioned doing stuff about what it's like to be LGBT in different countries did you see that Mm. Um, yeah it was like and I, I remember um him being in Jamaica and this guy I'm not homophobic I love to see women getting off with each other kind of thing it's not like oh really really do you know what I mean it's so patriarchal and and just it's so rigid it's I think People yeah aware of the patriarchy really and really yeah sorry to interrupt I mean I think we call something called unconscious bias when people just aren't even aware of how biased they are because it's so built into their psyche and that is riddled through both society and the government and those in power and they also don't understand the power differential you know yeah. that particularly for us women that you know oh it drives me up yeah well I'll, I'll shut up I kind of sorry you know, you, oh go on sorry Kate go I was just going to say, in a church context, you can't totally divorce it, particularly in more evangelical circles, from the idea of purity culture. And Mm. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because so when I was a teenager in the evangelical church, every now and again, someone would be trotted out to come up some usually some poor straight lad dragged up to the front of the church and taught, told to encourage to give his testimony of how he overcame the sin of masturbation. And it was just mortifying. The poor guys. I, I sometimes wonder what this did to them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of dragged up and told, you know, how they went through a purity course with the church. And, you know, they once or twice watched pornographic content on the Internet. And this was described as sex addiction and, you know, how they overcame their sex addiction. And because, you know, sex addiction in the church, as far as I can tell, is any form of sexual expression that the church hierarchy doesn't approve of in evangelical circles and it was so uppermost in my mind when this violent misogynistic individual who targeted um, Asian American sex workers was described as a sex addict and it was mentioned that he went to an evangelical church and I thought firstly I mean a lot of psychologists I should say don't believe that sex addiction exists in the first place but adding the church context to that I was like oh right I know that guy you know I mean I don't But I know that guy, you know, he's been told his whole life that his sexual expression, whatever it was, whatever was going on for him, um, was wrong. And, you know, he should have been celibate and comfortable with that or he should have been able to wait until marriage or whatever. And, you know, I hate the way celibacy is weaponized. Celibacy in the Bible is so clearly gifted to people as something that is supposed to be a wonderful way of connecting with God. You know, St. Paul in particular is very clear that he feels that if people are called to celibacy, they should love it and embrace it. But it's so clear that this is about calling. And the church, the uh, I, I will say the evangelical church, because it's my experience, but I've no doubt this isn't isolated, has weaponized celibacy and 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 the the high mental health the high rates of poor mental health in the particularly the lgbtq plus community of faith is partly testament to that but actually we we cannot divorce it 
from a wider experience that people are having. Now, I am not for a second defending misogynistic and racist violence, but we can't let the church remain unaccountable for that in the same way that we can't let them remain unaccountable for conversion therapy. Um, you know, the same could be said of the horrific attack on a, on a black church in America. It must have been four years ago now. You know, again, motivated by white supremacy, but the individual described themselves as Christian. Oh, and didn't. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, celibacy is what the Evangelical Alliance are now saying. Obviously, anybody who <clears throat> is LGBT needs to stick to. And as, as Kate rightly said, I mean, that's what caused my second breakdown. Actually, we yearn for intimacy. We yearn for love. We we yearn to be learn yearn to be loved and to love another person and that's human that's natural that's good and wonderful and frankly the church and many religions have such a poor teaching on sex and love and and frankly gets those two mixed up because those in power are <laughs> coming at it with one single mindset and I, I wonder if they truly understand love um, and to deny that to someone especially tell them that as a young person is as Kate said going to send them down a very dark um, passage you know um, life life cycle and we and we need to stand against that too yeah I mean um what would you say to sort of people who are trying to divide the community and saying they're doing it on behalf of lesbians like you have the Graham Linehan who's like constantly saying and and then I've spoken to lesbian people who are joining in with this because I remember working at Holloway prison back in the day late 90s um and I remember when it hit the papers and I was doing this speech. It was actually in Oxford at um, the university. And I was talking and I was trying to explain, like they, they had these um, people who were great with me till I mentioned the trans community. And then they just went crazy and were like, no, no, no. And I said, look, I used to work in Holloway prison. And they basically uh, said that, you know, um, the, the language they're using, the trans cabal, they called it a lesbian cabal. They had this whole newspaper article. We had to divide these lesbians and send them to different prisons to work because they were trying to attack the straight officer. Like, what would you say quickly to anybody who's buying into that from your community? Like, who wants to go first? I'm happy for you to start. <laughs> well, well, I think you have to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, I think as as women, we we need to stand up for women. We shouldn't be, you know, trans women are my friends. They are people I love because they are celebrating who they are and we need to stand with them. And together we need to stand against misogyny in this society. That to me is what we need to be uh, speaking out together. And anything that seeks to divide, I mean, you know, as a Christian, I believe that's unholy. But I think in society, it just sets us against each other. We are much stronger together and we've got to learn to see the good and the and glory is celebrate our differences because that's how we've been created. That's the I, I don't know. I think that's a healthy society where people are empowered to be who they are and to accept each other. So let's unite and tackle the mis misogyny we face. Yeah. And probably stop this. Um, I think I don't know it's just it's it's horrific and it's not for, for me it's evil <laughs> it feels a bit strong to say it like that but that's how I see it yeah. and Kate quickly yeah similarly you know um I I know that this this people run away with the phrase trans women are women and they start to unpick it kind of ontologically you know what is a woman what is womanhood for me the phrase trans women are women it's it's not about ontology it's not about sort of the heart of what it means to be 
Um, it's it's about how we are treated, how we express ourselves, and how other people read us. Yeah. And if I'm if I'm walking down the street with a trans woman, people treat her as a woman, you know, and and unless they read her as trans, in which case suddenly she is additionally othered. But to me, that's that's an intersectional identity. Yeah. Trans woman is an intersectional identity, like gay woman. Yeah. Um, it's not a diminishment of anybody's womanhood. They had uh, my my trans siblings have had different experiences of childhood to me. And maybe they've had passing privileges at some times in their life. I've had times when I've had passing privilege. People don't read me as disabled because I have what people tend to call invisible disabilities. So I get that passing privilege exists and sometimes we might need to discuss that. But that doesn't make me any less disabled. It doesn't make a trans woman any less a woman. And, And when we reduce people and when I hear people who are feminists reducing people to their sex organs it makes me so angry we fought against women being objectified for for centuries now and you know we don't want to be reduced to our body parts why on earth do you think it's acceptable to reduce my trans siblings to their body parts you know if trans men wish to opt out of women's spaces and and enter men's spaces and men make it safe for them to do so that is absolutely the right thing to do if trans women are part of women's spaces they always have been now, I, I started engaging in feminism act, feminist activism when I was at university. And the phrase self-defining woman was very current at that point. It was about 2004 or 5. And I never questioned it. It never even occurred to me that it might be a problem. Yeah. You know, I, I was always around trans women. They, they're, they're women. <laughs> and yeah. I really struggled to access the mindset. But I think... The, the risk is that we don't know who's funding this. And in the same way that churches who may well think they're doing the right thing for their community, they don't know who's behind it. They don't know who's been planting these ideas. And I think the same people who bankrolled the anti-gay marriage movement, I'm using the term gay marriage, it's not a very inclusive one, apologies. Um, but, you know, bankrolled movements against same-sex marriage, bankrolled the movement against Section 28, bankrolled the movement against funding AIDS to go back even further. I yeah. think we find the same people and the same ideas. That's a good, great point to on because I think we're going to have to, I always say follow the money, follow the money. And you're, you saw it in Uganda with the, you know, kill the gays or whatever. And you're like, where's all this? It was actually American evangelic, uh, evangelic, why can't I say that word? Evangelicals or evangelicalism. <laughs> guys uh, i wish we could go on we can't we have to end now um you were just spectacular guests i think that is the most that i've been able just to sit back uh, we hardly heard from aisha's lovely 40 a day voice um we were you guys were just absolutely amazing and i think because we run a patreon now we'll try and we'll write a piece on, alongside this and also like we said put in the comments um places that people could go to help you guys were just oh my god amazing amazing thank you very much ladies i'm gonna say quick goodbye to the audience if you stay on for two seconds just say quick goodbye bye audience bye 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 bye, bye.